following message is by Reggie Ramos of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Good morning, ICC. Today is one of those crazy mornings where everybody switched places. So Dr. Steve's doing announcements, Juno's leading praise, somebody else drove the trailer, um, and I'm preaching. Um, I'll be sharing this morning a message from Second Timothy, so if you have a Bible and like to turn to that, uh, please feel free to do that. Uh, even if you don't have a Bible, I'll be sharing the text up on the screen as we go through it. But, um, why don't we just pray for a few moments and um, invite the Lord to work in our midst and to speak to us during this time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your grace and mercy that, Lord, you would um, choose people such as us. Despite all that you know about us, You've set your love upon us, drawn us into a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Lord, you want to reveal more and more of yourself to us here today. And so we ask that you would open up our hearts to see you, to see more of your grace, to understand your gospel, and therefore to live for you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction upon our hearts and life change to the glory and honor of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as, as one of the pastors on staff, one of my responsibilities, one of my regular responsibilities is to maintain correspondence with our supported missionaries. Like earlier, you, you, uh, you saw the, the Kim family, and each week I'm putting together an update and prayer requests for all of those supported missionaries that we uh, are in relationship with. And um, I have to say that I've really been encouraged and impressed as I've been putting these, th- uh, putting these um, updates together and praying for them and seeing the progress of their ministries. I don't know if you put two and two together, but the reports we, aren't, the por- the reports we get aren't so much the uh, you know, pray for this event outreach, but often these days we're being asked to pray for individual people. Um, pray for this person that I'm reaching out to, uh, because almost all of our supported missionaries are serving in very difficult mission fields: uh, Myanmar, uh, Thailand, um, Jordan, Egypt, China. Difficult fields where the vast majority of people are not Christian, but many are Muslim or Buddhist and not very open to the gospel. And their ministry is very much one-on-one and relational. And in some of these situations, they just build, they build relationships through the, through the course of their normal lives. Um, Joe Lee works as an English translator, English teacher at the British consulate. His wife 
reaches out to people through play groups. Um, Milo Cho is a university professor, and his, his wife Natalie uh, reaches out to people, uh, other housewives and moms. Dave Zimmer is teaching um, through a computer training school and utilizing that opportunity to reach out to people. And so it's almost as if they're just people here, like any one of us, with skills, but they've been transplanted into a foreign land and are reaching out. Uh, they're just like any one of us. And yet over the last several months, we've heard report after report of several people becoming followers of Christ. Even the other week, we talked about six people in Myanmar uh, coming to faith, and now they're following up with them through the computer training program. And then uh, even Natalie and Milo have had the privilege to lead people to Christ as well as baptize them and start a church around them in Thailand, which is so heavily Buddhist that, you know, but we've, we've heard now handfuls of testimonies, several testimonies of hearts being changed by the gospel. And even in Egypt and Jordan, where it's a little bit slower, we've been hearing about progress. You know, they, they acknowledge God as creator. They, they see Jesus, you know, they, they understand he's more than a prophet, but they're still stuck in some of their old beliefs. But there's progress. We see gospel ministry and gospel, the gospel progressing. And it definitely has been an encouragement as I've been hearing these and praying for them. But it also has been a challenge. And the question, as I've been just meditating upon it, comes to mind. Where are the, study, or where are the stories and testimonies here at ICC? Where we're in a country where there's religious freedom, um, there's churches all over the place, Christian radio stations, and yet still plenty of people who don't know Jesus Christ or follow him. Opportunities abound, and yet am I, and are we, being faithful stewards of the gospel that we have received? Even further, might there be ways in which we've become, even in this country that's supposedly more open, might there be ways in which we've become ashamed of the gospel? So there's, you know, as I was just wrestling with this passage and thinking about our church and praying about it, I was like, you know, we're getting a steady stream from these missionaries in difficult places. And our hope would be that we could have a stream of these testimonies, and maybe it's just that they're sending them to me, you know, directly, and I get to report them. And we don't have that same protocol with the congregation, but it's just something that I want us all to think about. You know, um, as we even think about our friends overseas in these difficult places, something that I have to honestly wrestle with and something that I want you to wrestle with even today as we listen to the message. Well, two weeks ago, our brother Paul preached the first message in our series called Stand Firm from the book of 2 Timothy. And his message was called Feed the Fire of the Spirit. And, and through that, he got the ball rolling by calling us to be courageous in uh, courageous about our faith because of the Holy Spirit that is within us. 
Today we're going to continue in a similar vein as we look into the passage for today. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 18, which I believe continues to bring both challenge and encouragement to us. And so follow along as I read uh, the passage. It says this, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you, all, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus." And from this text, what I want to explain, what I hope to explain today is this, that God calls and enables us to live unashamedly for Christ. God calls and enables us to live unashamedly for Christ. And I want to highlight the fact that there, you know, it's God calls and enables because if you look at this text, it seems to, there's four commands right in there. And so we can easily and just immediately respond like, okay, I know I'm supposed to. Oh, okay, I'm supposed to. But what I want to show you and demonstrate to you today is that right there inside, even in these commands, is what we need to understand is the enablement that God gives to us, the resources that we need to live unashamedly for Him. I believe the Lord wants to call some of us out of our love of comfort so that we might love Him more and be faithful to the gospel. I believe that the Lord wants to set some of us free from bondage to fear and shame that keeps us from living boldly for Christ so that we don't shrink back from opportunities and so that we can stand for him. And so as we look right at the beginning of the passage, it, Paul is calling Timothy, who is a, is a timid man, frail, sick, he's uh, sickly, he's not, uh, he's not the very confident an outspoken man that Paul is, but he's a more timid man. Paul calls him right there in this first verse. It says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. And immediately, what we, see, we see the problem that Timothy needs to overcome. It's shame. And I want to take a moment to talk about shame because shame is complicated and it's complex and multifaceted and we don't have enough time to cover it in depth, but I just want to bring a little bit of focus to us. And so just so that we're all on the same page, 
I want to give a, def- a working definition for us today. Uh, definition of shame is fear of disconnection. Fear of disconnection. And basically, shame asks the question, is there something about me that if other people see it or know it, it will make me unworthy of connection, unlovable? Maybe if they found out, they would shun me, or they would ignore me, or they would look down on me. That's how I want to... Uh, I want us to be thinking about shame. And in light of that, I think it's safe to say that all of us struggle with shame, right? Everybody? At some level, varying degrees, right? It's a human condition. There can be minor things about which you are ashamed. Things that you enjoy or like that, you know, may not be looked upon with approval or favor by others like this. Let's just say, one of you burly men, what if we found out that you happen to be an extreme Justin Bieber fan and know the lyrics to all of his songs, right? Right? Imagine Andy or, you know, one of our big guys is a Bieber fan, a believer, right? How many of us, how would we feel about Andy after that? I, I don't, especially these days. I don't know. But that, would, that might be a source of shame. That's minor. Maybe it could be something a little bit more serious. Maybe you were in a store with your, one of your children and uh, you got impatient and you lost control and, and you blew up at him in front of everybody, even though it was relatively minor. And so you feel ashamed as a parent because you know you really messed up. It was totally over the top. And there's a sense of shame that comes over you. Or maybe it's even something even deeper than that, that haunts you. Perhaps something like you were abused as a child, or something, uh, an addiction that's uh, not only embarrassing, but it's out of control. Basically, because of whatever it is, you struggle with shame. Shame's the terrible fear of being rejected because of something about you. So if they found that out, you'd be horrified that they might not accept you any longer. Now, for any of these things, we don't have to broadcast them to other people if we don't want to. I mean, it may not be healthy for us to keep some of these things just to ourselves, but in the end, we don't have to if we don't want to. But when it comes to Christianity, uh, the distinctly Christian struggle with shame, it's a little bit different because the things that we might be tempted to be ashamed of are the things that we're actually supposed to broadcast and let everyone know about. I say that because every Christian is a witness for Christ. Every single Christian. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. Every single one of us is to share about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, share about the love of Christ. And yet, those things are some things that I want to argue even from this passage, we can at times be ashamed of. They're, they're real temptations, and they're not insignificant. If, if, if Timothy weren't, if, if, if it wasn't a real temptation, then Paul wouldn't have spoken to him in these terms of, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. If Paul himself didn't struggle with it, it wouldn't have been necessary for him to to say this in Romans 1.16, to speak in these terms, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, 
And if it wasn't a struggle that we'd all face, Jesus wouldn't have needed to say this. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So to be ashamed of Christ is, is a reality that we, is a, the temptation of it is something that we can face, every single one of us. And every single one of us may face. We are more sensitive to public opinion than we like to admit. We give in far too easily. And I'm talking about this when it comes to, as a Christian, and being a witness for Christ. But let's get back to the call. It says, do not be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord or me, his prisoner. And I want us to ask the question, why might Timothy be ashamed of either of these things? Why might Timothy be ashamed of either of these things? What is it about the the message of the gospel that men hate and oppose? And on account of that, that those who preach about it will suffer. Because as a preacher of the gospel, his message would have clashed with all kinds of ideologies of that day. To the Jews in that day, preaching the cross, as it says in 1 Corinthians 1.23, was a a stumbling block. You know, to the Jew in that day, there were two things about Jesus' ministry that created conflict with their understanding of things. First, he wasn't a military leader bringing triumph over the Roman Empire. When they thought of the Messiah, that was what they were praying for. That was what they were expecting. And so when they preached Christ crucified, didn't meet their expectations. Not only that, but when Jesus proclaimed, proclaimed that he was the Messiah, declared that he was the Son of God, it didn't, me- it didn't mesh with what they were thinking because a lot of the things that he did actually contradicted with their existing religious system. You know, they, they were so... Um, rigid about the Sabbath, and yet on the Sabbath, he healed. Jesus didn't measure up to the Messiah that the people were expecting. Jesus literally became a stumbling block to many people in Israel. Even though he literally fulfilled the scriptures and manifested God Almighty to them, they didn't accept him. They, in fact, killed him. Not only that, but to the Gentiles, to the Greek philosophers of his day who were searching for wisdom, when they heard the message of the cross, they just said, that's just foolishness. They didn't have the same background or or understanding of sin that the Jews did. They were looking for wisdom, and they didn't find it in the cross of Christ. But not only that, even in the face of Roman rule, you know, right now, Apostle Paul is writing from a Roman prison, and he's actually awaiting um, execution, the hands of Nero. And at that time, the reason why he was in prison, because the preaching of the gospel clashed with even the Roman, uh, the Roman message that Caesar was Lord, and that all should bow before him. The Christians at that, in that day proclaimed, no, There's only one Lord, Jesus, not Caesar. And so you can imagine in that day that there could be fear, there could be shame 
on behalf of the message because the prevailing culture had all sorts of different views about what is true, what is right, what brings salvation. Well, how about for you and me right now? What are some ways in which we might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel? What might cause us to shrink back? And I thought about this and I was thinking, you know, today Christians can't even get to talking about Jesus because so many issues get in the way right now, whether they be gender issues or political issues. There's just so much sort of intertwined with religion and all of these different issues that getting even to the testimony of our Lord, sometimes you don't even get the opportunity. But I don't want to talk about all of those issues per se, but I, I just want to simply talk about even about the gospel. If you, were, if you have the opportunity to share about Jesus Christ, what about the gospel is offensive that people would oppose us because of our message? And John Stott writes it this way, it is the undeserved freeness of the gospel which offends. The natural or unregenerate man hates to have to admit the gravity of his sin and guilt, his complete helplessness to save himself, the indispensability, in, indispensable necessity of God's grace and Christ's sin-bearing death to save him, and therefore his inescapable indebtedness to the cross. Wow, that's a lot of words here. What that basically means is, you know, what people are offended by are statements like, you know, you're not good enough. Or you cannot save yourself. You need a savior. You are a sinner. And you need a savior. In our day, people don't want to hear that they are sinners. Not only that, they don't want to hear about things like judgment or hell, which are part of the gospel message from which Jesus saves us. But that we first must confess as part of that process. That's one offense of the gospel in our time and in our day. But perhaps another thing that people find offensive and maybe most offensive today is its exclusivity. When we say that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. When we say, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No, other, no one can come to the Father except through me. Now, those are fighting words because basically you're saying other religions, other beliefs ultimately cannot save. Only Jesus saves. Now, that is a tough statement to make in the public square, isn't it? People get offended. We get labeled intolerant. Many preachers succumb to the temptation, and so they change the message. Consider even preachers today, we were talking about this at our community group retreat, how, you know, the gospel is preached in some churches where they just share the good stuff. Oh, God will do this for you. Just believe in Jesus or just trust him. Just say this prayer, and he'll do all these good things for you. Prosperity gospel, health and wealth gospel. Believe in him and he'll be your divine genie. Many preachers today have gotten rid of the message of sin, of hell. They just talk about the good stuff. They leave out the cross. 
They leave out issues of suffering, out of fear and shame, maybe desire to have a successful ministry or at least a well-attended ministry. The gospel is watered down. But no man can preach Christ crucified without, with faithfulness and escape opposition or even persecution. This is a real temptation for us. And I'm talking about not, all, not just preachers from the pulpit, but even any one of us as we're seeking to share the gospel with people around us. There are things, real temptations to be ashamed and fear that we must overcome. Several years ago, I believe it was in the year 2000, in the summer, this is a Northwestern University campus, um, I was taking a class at Trinity Seminary. It was an evangelism class. I think I've shared this in the past here, some of you, so some of you might know this. It was an evangelism class, and I believe Dr. Steve was actually in my class at the time. But at the end of the semester, at the end of the summer, um, what we did was uh, we were supposed to, uh, we all met at Northwestern, and what we were going to do that day was just walk around the campus in pairs and um, walk up to strangers and talk to them about Jesus Christ and share the gospel. So we, we went through the whole class, uh, the whole summer of classes, talking about how we can share the message and so on and so forth. And this was sort of like our uh, put-it-into-practice day. And so uh, I think I'm not much of a Paul. I'm a little bit more like a Timothy when it comes to this. And so on that day, I was like, my heart was racing. And uh, I was like, man, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this at all. This stinks. I, I. And so I'm thinking in my head, man, I'm going to have to do this. Oh, what kind of pastor am I going to be? I stink as a Christian. I hate, I don't want to do this. And, and so the thing is, we were pairing up. And unfortunately, there was an odd number. So I was the odd man out. And so the, the professor said, oh, yeah, why don't you just go out on your own? And you, you just, you know. So in all honesty, I went around and I was so relieved because I was like, uh, okay, I'll try. But then there was nobody who was going to have to like hold me accountable. So I said, I'll try. So that day I walked around the campus and I walked around the campus and I logged a couple, it was like the whole hour. I was like, oh man, Lord, who do you want me to reach out? Who do you want me to say? Oh, that person's busy. Oh, you know, uh, okay, I'll wait a minute. And uh, oh, they got up and left. Oh man. So I was stressed out and I, I'd, you know, and, and I was looking at the time. It's like, oh, we have to meet back up, right? So then, uh, by that time, I did not meet up. I mean, by that time, I did not approach anybody. Um, and so I went back, and I sheepishly told him I didn't get to talk to anybody. <laughs> so he, he, he looked a little perplexed, and he said, really? Oh, gosh. So, so what he did was he said, okay, let's go. And I was like, oh, what? Let's go. <laughs> So the teacher now took me with him, and uh, I was like, oh no, oh no, I'm going to have to do this. And the thing was, I think he actually, he could see that I was really trembling about this. And I was really, I, I, I don't know what it was about me on that day, but I just really couldn't bring myself to do this. And so when we, we actually stopped with somebody, and you know, 
I could tell the professor was um, sort of in a hurry because everybody was still waiting for us. So he was kind of like, just, let's just grab the first person near us and you know, he could just run through something. But he grabbed that person and then I froze. <laughs> I said nothing. Failure. Huge failure. This is a real temptation. Um, and it, you know, like, I think it's a temptation beyond just our temperament. But it's a temptation, even at the level, because of our message and um, this issue of shame. But by the grace of God, none of us, even myself, are not left to ourselves to accomplish this. In this passage, we are to not be ashamed, but to suffer for the gospel by the power of God by the power of God. It's not just, okay, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, which is what I think I was trying to do that whole day, but I, maybe I was just, I think I can't, I think I can't. That was really more the mantra in my head. Instead, we are to lean on the power of God in order to be bold and unashamed for the gospel. And the question is how? How does that happen? Is, I mean, it's not just effort. It's not just I think I can. How can we be bold? How can we be not ashamed of the gospel? God gives us the enablement in this passage, and I believe it's through the gospel. We are to share the gospel boldly, and we can only do that effectively and unashamedly by believing the gospel. Because that's what... Paul does is he goes on and he starts explaining the gospel. Right after these commands, he just goes into these verses where he's just saying, this is what the gospel is. This is what God has done for us. And I believe it's not just some unrelated aside, unrelated theology lesson, but no, it's right there to bolster his command and give the reason why he can be unashamed. I want to talk about it at this level. Now, I want to talk about the power of perspective. Power of perspective. Now, how many of you are inspired by this? Find this inspiring, right? All it looks like is uh, maybe like stalks of metal, stalks of corn. I don't know, something like that. Um, but it's perspective. You can get inspired if you change your perspective because this is what it actually is. You know, and the thing is, we can have one perspective of our situations like, oh man, everybody's going to hate me. I'm going to be so uncomfortable. People are going to reject what I say. They might even come after me. I don't know what the output, is. I don't know what the outcome's going to be when we think about being bold for Christ. But what Paul is calling Timothy to do is not focus on the circumstances so much, not focus on, you know, the intimidating enemy or intimidating people around him. Even he's calling him not to focus so much even on his own weak personality or temperament, but he's saying change your perspective by focusing on the gospel. Keep your eyes on the gospel. The antidote to temptation is to recognize and celebrate all the more the power of the gospel message and what we have received. Because I think we, can, we so easily lose sight of it. And therefore, the things around us seem so much more powerful. 
than what we do have and what we are wielding in the gospel. The power of perspective is what we have to fight for every day, a gospel perspective that affects the way that we think, perceive, and even act. And today what I want to talk about is, uh, through these verses is all the power that's in the gospel. And I pray that you would be encouraged to know that all of this is there for us to draw upon and to transform and renew our minds so that we would not be ashamed, but we would see the truth and be bold. The first power that I see comes out of verse 9. It's the power of grace. It says this, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. In the gospel, there is power in grace. First of all, there is no one so good because of what they have done that they don't need salvation, that they don't need Jesus. Secondly, there is no one so bad because of what they have done that they can't receive salvation. Therefore, everyone that we see, everyone that we look at anywhere, needs what we have in the gospel. That's power, right? We are in a position of power, not weakness. Even though the numbers in Thailand are staggering, Pastor Milo can still look out on the street and say, I have what everybody needs. That is a position of power, not weakness because there's not many of us. Not only that, there's power and grace in this way. You know, what we're afraid of is, is ridicule, rejection, shame because we deliver this message and they might oppose us. But when you come to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he says, you are mine, the God of the universe, the Lord of all the nations, the creator of the heavens of the earth, the savior of the world, the redeemer of all mankind, when he says, I chose you, you belong to me, not because of what you've done, but because of my love. It is all grace. That grace, that understanding in that relationship, that acceptance ought to trump any rejection that we might face in sharing the gospel and in living unashamedly for Christ. Let's consider as well as we move on in, the in this verse, it's this, the power that transcends time. We must understand and humble ourselves before the greatness of this glorious gospel. It says this, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Think about this. We are limited in time and space and we see what's in front of us and we make decisions in our time. And those decisions we could feel are so powerful. But the most powerful decisions were made even before we got on the scene. He gave us grace in Christ Jesus before the ages began. He set his love upon us. God's plans are so much bigger than man's plans and his decision was way before any of our decisions or actions. And I know that this is a little hard to wrap our minds around but this is where we need to come and understand that what we believe in and share about is not just something here and now, but it is something from ages past and all ages to come. 
There's power in the gospel that transcends time. Also, power over death. As it says there, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death. Death is the scariest thing for everybody outside of Christ. People are driven in our day to try to avoid death as much as possible. Listen to this quote from John Stott. says, far from being prepared for death, modern society has made the very word almost unmentionable. We have brought all our talents into us to avoid the prospect of dying. And when the time comes, we may react with anything from excessive triviality to total despair. This is the perspective of death, but we have this triumphant message to say that we are not subject to this kind of life of despair and hopelessness because of death or just fear of death or trying to escape death. We don't seek death, but we don't fear it. Why? Because our Savior abolished death through his powerful resurrection. It doesn't mean that he eliminated it. To abolish means to make ineffective or powerless. So death is ineffective or powerless upon uh, ultimately in our lives. And we no longer have to live in fear of it because it isn't the end anymore. It doesn't have the final word. He has conquered death. And in order to appreciate the full force of what Paul is saying here, we need to understand that he is on death row, just awaiting execution. He's in the very presence of death, and yet he can triumphantly claim, Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? That is triumphant faith in the gospel in which there is power over death. In light of that, even if we are persecuted for our faith, which is something right now you and I don't face but we hear it in the news right now, these Iraqi believers. We believe the same message that they are being called to believe right now in the face of death. May we have faith even though that threat isn't, just, isn't upon us at this moment, but may we be those who even in the face of death can live unashamedly for Christ. The other week, I went to a funeral of a former church member um, at, at my previous church, and I was taking notes because I want my funeral to be this, like this funeral. It was a memorial service, and it was just worship. It, I mean, there were bun you know, a bunch of songs and scriptures read, and then people came up and gave just these heartwarming testimonies of just how... This brother um, had lived faithfully, sharing the gospel almost all, you know, all, uh, to, to anyone that he could. And it wasn't, I don't believe it was exaggeration, but it was just a joyous celebration. Even the, the immediate family I, I just saw at that time was, they weren't, his wife wasn't crying. It was a, it was a fairly sudden death. 
wife wasn't crying, but in that funeral service, in that memorial service, I saw the reality of the Christian's power over death. And there was celebration and worship. There was still sadness for the loss, immediate loss. But there was such joy and uh, celebration over life. Further power that we could see is here, in which it has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Not only did he abolish death, but then he gives us this new quality of life, life and immortality. It's quality and quantity because it is, uh, it is immortality and in, it's, it's immortal and it's incorruptible. And so the kind of life Christ has secured us through the gospel, will go on for eternity. We will die, but we will be resurrected and receive glorified bodies. But also, we will receive an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Again, in light of this truth, because Christians possess a life that cannot decay, we don't need to live in fear of death. We ought not be, uh, our confidence and our boldness to share should not be taken away because of our future hope. Even moving further in the passage, there's power of relationship. Paul talks about his own boldness and he says, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And what this is alluding to is Paul's intimate relationship with Christ. Notice that he doesn't say, but I know what I have believed. We're not just talking about all these facts. I'm not just spitting these things out as, as facts that you have to kind of get in your checklist. But no, they all flow out of this relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, I know whom I have believed. There is this intimate relationship between himself and God that was a source of power through the Holy Spirit encouraging him even in prison. Helping him to have the right perspective. And the last thing is ultimate power. It says again, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul knew Christ. Uh, Paul knew that Christ was able to guard what was given to him, entrusted to him, which was the gospel ministry. So think about this like this. God entrusted to Paul the gospel ministry. And now on his last legs, Paul is entrusting it to Timothy. And yet, his confidence is not in Timothy's greatness, but in God's ability to guard what has been entrusted. He will take, God will ultimately take care of it. And now that Paul is entrusting it to Timothy, Timothy can be encouraged by that same assurance. And therefore, 
press on. God has ultimate power. His purposes will prevail. And they will stand. We want to live in light of these purposes and this power that is given to us in the gospel. We, want, we need to reflect and meditate and chew on these things and have our perspective renewed every single day so that as we go about our daily lives, we are not people who are living in constant fear, but that we know the power of our message. We know that everybody needs it. We know that God is in ultimate control. The main theme is that if Timothy really understands all of this, he will learn to line himself up with the right kind of honor and the right kind of shame. So that when he's not living according to the gospel, he's ashamed. But even if he's being ridiculed, punished, beaten, he can be unashamed because of the gospel. Today, I want to urge you not to have misplaced shame. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Let's be bold and know that we have this treasure. You don't have to be ashamed of treasure. You can give it away. You don't have to be ashamed of life-saving medicine. You can give it away. They may not accept it. They may not receive it. But you don't have to be ashamed of it. We don't have to be ashamed of it. Just maybe a final word about application. How do we do this? And it's not even far from the application, one of the applications that our brother Paul shared. But just to reinforce that more, is that we, we, in order to live unashamedly, we need to meditate daily on the gospel through his word so that our minds can be renewed with a gospel perspective each and every day. We are constantly bombarded with wrong values and temptations to put our sense of worth or value or security in the wrong things. Maybe some of us right now are storing up treasures on this earth and you're getting the gospel wrong. You're, you're living according to YOLO, you know, you only live once. You're storing it up here and you're ignoring the fact that it's all going to perish, spoiler, but you can't take it with you. You need to be reminded through the word of God, the gospel, that it's not about right here only, but there's a better. There's something much better to come. Some of us are putting our sense of worth, value, security in our reputation among people and we're, un, we're, we're, unshake, we're, we're unshakable in, in letting people touch that. We don't want to let, we don't want to come into a bad reputation at work. We want to we stay in control of what people think of us there. And maybe we're missing opportunities to share the gospel. Wrong mentalities, clouding our perception, our perspective. We need daily reminders and daily encouragement to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. 
to live for his glory, not our own. So let's get into the word. The gospel is more than I'm forgiven. And when I mess up, I can get forgiven again. So much bigger than that. So much more powerful than that. And finally, I want to encourage us to grow in encouraging one another. Timothy needed his Paul to get him on the right track, not to be ashamed. Paul's testimony of not being ashamed became strength to him, even in this letter. They, uh, they, they were, he encouraged Timothy. But then a little bit later we read of Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus being, exa- uh, being an example of faithfulness, an example of one who was not ashamed of Paul or the gospel. And even though everybody else left, Paul shared about Onesiphorus and saying, you know what? A lot of people might walk away, but there are still some faithful people out there. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. And we need to, with one another, as we gather in community groups, encourage one another, sharpen one another, really Help one another to live in that focus of the gospel. Open our lives up to one another and say, hey, where do you see this going wrong? Or, you know, I feel a little off. You need to pray for me. Sharing testimonies. Again, remember the testimonies of our missionaries. Pray that we would... I want to ask you and invite you, if you have testimonies of God working in relationships where you're sharing the gospel and being bold for the gospel. I want to invite you. I want to invite you up here on a Sunday and let's hear those things so that others can be encouraged and unashamed. But as well, sharing with one another our struggles so that we could pray for one another, sharpen one another, encourage one another. Let us pray for these things to happen so that we can live unashamedly before the Lord. He calls us to it we know that, but he also enables us through the gospel, through that change in perspective, to let us be transformed by him. Let's pray.